This episode is brought to you by Santos Threads. Make sure to visit Santos-Threads for the latest and greatest in men's and women's Latino urban-inspired streetwear. Visit santos-threads.com. Hey, you are now listening to the Santos Says Podcast, episode number 28. Once more, thank you all for listening and supporting as we wrap up this year very soon, 2021. Thank you guys all for being a part of this. I'm very, very happy, excited to be with you guys. Episode number 28, the Santos Says Podcast. Uh, Back at you once again, I have a special guest today. But first, before I get to that, Make sure you guys follow me on social media, uh, Santos Thread Shop uh, at Instagram, as well as uh, Santos Thread Shop on TikTok. Um, working on the TikTok, trying to anyway, um, but being consistent with the social media, just trying to continue to, to build and grow. And uh, I appreciate each and every one of you guys who listen um, when I drop these episodes and who interact with me on the social media platforms. I really appreciate it. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, the Santos Says Podcast, and of course, in the audio format uh, on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and Stitcher. Also available on Google. I don't plug it, but I'm on Google. If you search on Google, the Santos Says Podcast, you can definitely uh, find me as well. So episode number 28, here we go. On this episode, I will have a special guest joining me. Uh, This person is what I would call a, a great example for the youth, somebody who is very much uh, is an educator, someone who is her life work is um, the future, the children, um, educating the children, especially from the inner city. And um, I will have the pleasure of being joined by um, someone who is um, someone who I learned from on um I learned about, I should say, through a friend. Uh, shout out to to Mosul, um, Jose Cruz, uh, one of my friends and one of the uh, colleagues who I've been on his show and uh, he's been on my show. So one a really good person. And um, so someone I met through him. And um, basically, her name is Sandra Polanco. So Sandra Polanco will join me. And um, she's an educator. She's somebody who has dedicated her whole life work to education. And what I wanted to talk about with her is we're going to talk about, this episode is going to be about education in the inner city and really with minorities, the state of mind with education. Okay. And I'm going to talk about her, get her experiences. And I want to also touch base with her as far as we'll get some of her background, um, her story, how that played a factor into her life. Right and into her career. But um, one of the things I really wanted to do was also talk about some of the expectation levels of education within the inner city, because, um, you know, all you hear on the news is how inner city schools are are failing and how um, the bar needs to be raised for inner cities, uh, inner city students, minority students in particular, who are from these inner cities, um, the neighborhoods that a lot of us come from. So I want to talk with her just to get a perspective from her. She's actually, she's an assistant director uh, of the freshman experience at Monroe College in the Bronx, Um, has been around education a good part of her life and really um, has a great perspective. And I wanna hear from her as a a Latina, um, as a Latina female, someone who's an educator, someone who's around young uh, individuals all the time and really just understanding some of the dynamics because Let's be honest, okay? Um, one of the inspirations for this episode was really based on a lot of my own experiences that I've had, right? Um, having grown up in the, in the inner city, seeing a lot of the challenges that come with that, some of the obstacles, and, and oftentimes we feel like um, we're stuck in the circumstances that we come from, right? We come from a certain neighborhood, we come from a background, we come from not having a lot, and sometimes we feel like we're stuck there, like there's no um, there's no hope in sight, right? Um, and that's not always the case. It doesn't have to be the case. You know, I always say like if you're built a you're dealt a bad hand, and um, 
you know, when you're dealt a bad hand and you're starting out from a vantage point of, quite frankly, a disadvantage, um, you have to make the best of those situations. It may not be as easy for us coming from those situations, but you don't have to stay there. Where you start at does not have to be where you end at. That should not be your, your, um, your motivation should not be to just stay there. You should always want to uh, grow and continue to push your generations and families forward to get to different heights, not just economically, but also state of mind as far as the standard, et cetera. So she will be joining me momentarily. And I just want to talk about some of those things uh, with her, with Sandra Polanco. And I, I think her perspective is really interesting considering how she spent a good part of her professional life working with, with, with different youth and, and having those um, experiences, uh, her now working uh, at a college and having that um, perspective. So, you know, switching it up, doing something a little different. Um, I, I, if, if nothing else, I really want to hear, you know, I want her story to be out there and I want her to share her story, talk to us about her experiences. And um, if nothing else, if it could be some sort of a, a spark or an inspiration for others, that, that would be the goal. And so that's what I want. I want people to, to that's a part of what this show is about. Um, aside from the hip hop, you know, we do the hip hop. We talk about different things with hip hop and the culture, but um, Latino entrepreneurs, so on and so forth. But one of the other things I always wanted to do is, is really have people tell their stories. And that's what this is all about, really being able to share stories uh, from other individuals and um, and really come together and, and create that sense of community. So um, without further delay, I do have her here. She's here uh, backstage, and I will be uh, welcoming to the show. Uh, everyone, please welcome. She is an assistant director of the Freshman Experience at Monroe College. She's an educator. She's all about the education, about the youth, and um, here to share her story and really talk to her today. Uh, I want to welcome to the show Sandra Polanco. Thank you, Santos. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, likewise. Glad, uh, glad to have you. Thank you. So listen, um, I appreciate you coming on. First of all, thank you for coming on. And um, it's a great, um, it's, it's great to have you because a lot of times people go, oh, well, you know, people associate me with the, as being the guy who interviews rappers and stuff all the time. And I do interview rappers, right? But I do like to have, my thing is also having people such as yourself that have stories to tell. Um, so that was part of really me having you on here and um, part of the, the the rationale, if you will, to have you on the show to join me. So um, thank you for that. And um, we'll get into it, right? Um, tell us about your story. I know we talked a little bit about this offline, but I want to know your story because having seen you in social media, obviously, you're very positive. You're a positive person. You like to have positive messaging. Talk to me, or talk to the audience about your background and where, where you come from. Absolutely. So I'm from the Bronx, born and raised in the Bronx, um, only child. So growing up, it was just myself and my parents. Um, my parents came here from Puerto Rico super hard workers, you know, your typical story came here to, to, to make it right. Quote unquote. And so they really, I was very fortunate because they really put their all into the only child that they had, which was me. And so what they wanted was for me to get a good education, right. Growing up on the grand concourse, as I said to you, was not always, uh, you know, there, there was no green grass there. Uh, there was no, um, you know, flowers blooming. I, I don't remember really seeing anything like that. Um, and so they knew that the, the ticket uh, for me was to get a good education, a solid education. And so what they did was they worked to put me in a great school, Catholic school, private school. Um, I started kindergarten in a public school. I always say this joke and the teacher at that time um she the she was upset because the class was talking this is kindergarten class was talking you know like five-year-olds do and she decided to take dishwasher soap 
and put it in the mouths of every child so that we could be quiet. And when I got home and told this to my mother, my mother lost it. And I think this is where I learned to advocate for myself and advocate for my kids when you see that something is not right. And she said, you are never going back to that school because what that teacher did to you was not right and you didn't deserve that. And she homeschooled me. The, my, the remaining year, I always say, Joe, because I said I was a kindergarten dropout, right? Because the remaining year she homeschooled me, I never went back to that school. And she said, I am going to work to put you in a private school so that you never have to go through something like that again. And that is what she did. She did not have many skills because she didn't graduate from high school. So she opened up in our apartment. Um, she had like a little daycare business and she would take care of kids at home. And because she was, that's what she knew how to do, right? She was a great mom. She knew how to multitask and organize and do all those mom things. And that's what she did. And that is how she was able to help pay for my tuition along with my father. And my entire life, they advocated for me. They made sure that I had the best that they could give me. And so me at that time, even without knowing what was happening, education was like in here. It was instilled in me. It was like, wow, you know, if I, if I go to school and I get a degree and I do this, I can have A, B, C, and D, right? I don't have to maybe struggle so much the way that I saw my parents struggle. And so it really stemmed from there. Them without even knowing it, uh, what they did to me was really incredible. What the gifts that they were able to provide me with, even from day one. And so fast forward to when I got to, to school, when I, when I went to college, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I didn't know what avenue I wanted to take. I loved writing. I loved, re I was like a, I was like a nerd, you know, I love reading. I love writing. Like that was my thing. And I, so I became an English major because it's what I knew. It's what I love to do. And so along the way, I picked up Spanish as a second major because I really was, you know, I'm really good at English, but I want to, I want to learn more about the, the Spanish literature because I was never taught that. My parents didn't know about that. Like there was no Google at the time. There was, was there even internet? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know any of it. And so being able to, to focus on those two things really helped, again, really helped become who I am today. And so when I graduated high school, not when I graduated college, I didn't know what to do. Like, what does one do with a English and Spanish major? I, I don't know, right? I, with the English and Spanish degree, right. I didn't know. Um, and, you know, to make a long story short, I saw an opening for an admissions counselor position. I was now 21 years old, freshly college grad. And I said, I'm gonna apply for this job. I think like this, this sounds kind of like something I can do, right? And I got the job. I had a big office. I'm interviewing students that are not that much uh, younger than me to get into college. And that's really how my my uh, career in higher education took a, a kickoff, right? That's I started doing that, and I was like, "This is like, this is cool. Like, I like this. I'm helping my community. I'm helping students. I'm helping them get in. I'm helping them to see that they can speak to someone that looks like them, and they could be here too, right? I'm not any different from them. And so, that's really what what started it all my parents me first having that opportunity to have that job in higher education was what then showed me what my passion was because for so long i didn't know what my passion was like sometimes when we don't have an obvious passion right like we're not artists so we don't have great voices we don't sing we're like, right, like such and such is so good at doing all of these things and i don't i'm not good at anything right so it was like I finally figured out what my passion was. And when I figured that out, I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my master's degree. I'm going to get my master's degree in guidance, counseling, in education. And by that time, I had already my, had my, my, my daughter. 
And I went to school and I earned my degree in something that I absolutely loved doing. And that is really a little bit of my of my path and of my journey as to how I came to be in, in the world of, of higher education. And, you know, that's amazing. That's amazing because like, you know, I always say like our, our experiences really kind of like shape us, right? So we learn all these things. And, and, and so like seeing that experience, like you said, right? How the Latino, that's interesting with the Latino literature because there is so there are so many great writers that we don't learn about, that we never hear. They don't teach us this in school. And for obviously for different reasons, right? Where the education was not quite the emphasis always for some of our parents or grandparents. So it's like, we're, we have to discover this on our own because, right? And we're learning about all these different um, artisans and artists. And so you having that sense of wanting to go back and look this up and, and, and research that, I would assume, and this is what I was gonna ask you, I would assume that your, your parents instilled a great deal of pride in your heritage, in your roots. Talk to me about that and how that factored in you wanting to go back and research some of this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, growing up, first of all, my, my first language, Spanish. My parents did not speak to me in English. Um, to the point that when I went to that private school in the first grade, I did not speak English. And I, I got in trouble for that. Like They were looking at my mother like, what are we supposed to do with her here? She doesn't even speak English. And so my parents, it was all about the culture, all about the food, right? The music, um, listening to, you know, every every Saturday, my I'm waking up, my father is blasting Hector Lavoe and Willie Colon, and it's, it's salsa all day long. And at that time, I'm like, wow, like, again, like we're listening to this again, you know, not knowing mm -hmm. that years later, it would be the only thing that I listen to. Like, you don't even catch me listening to to, mu to English music here. It's rare. It is very rare because everything that I listen, it's, it's just in me. It's part of who I am. And when I went away to school, I think that's when I saw it the most. When I was up in upstate New York, I don't know. There are Puerto Ricans there now. There are Latinos. But at that time, I didn't really know where they were. And it, on the radio, there was no, you know, no. Troy. If you go right. to Troy, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans in okay. Troy. Okay. And Albany, but years ago, right. Yeah, that was almost, listen, I graduated college many, many years ago. So I didn't really see a lot of that. And I really missed my music. I missed my salsa. I, and I would go to the Wiz and I would go to the record stores and I would buy the CDs and listen to them in my Walkman, in my Discman. And that's when it all started coming together. I was like, wow, like I'm not home and I'm really missing this music. This music is a part of me. And so I'm so thankful that I was exposed to that and that although obviously when I went to the school, I had to learn to speak English it didn't take anything away from me because at home we still spoke Spanish, right? To this day, I call my mom, we're speaking in Spanish. We are eating all of the traditional foods. You know, my mom eats rice every single day. I mean, I don't eat rice every single day because the carbs, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> carbs was like not a thing. It's not a thing in no. Latino households. It's like, nope. you don't have a meal without rice. Right, you have a meal with rice. That the rice is like the main, the main thing in the meal, and so having all of that be a part of me is was really incredible. Because when I am able now to go back to visit the island, I I feel like I'm home, even though I have never lived there. Right, I have lived here my entire life. I'm like, well, this is like my second home because I feel I don't feel any there. I don't feel like I'm going there and visiting. I feel like I'm a part. Like that's a part of me. And that's really an incredible feeling to have, to be able to live here, but feel so connected to, to your culture. I've always, I've always said, like, I, I identify with that as well, because I've always said, like, aunque yo no vivo en la isla, la isla, la isla vive en mí. So I say that all the time. So the translation, I don't live on the island, but the island lives in me. So, exactly. um, so I, I appreciate that too, definitely. Um, 
since you mentioned the music, I wasn't even going to talk about music, but I think we should talk about it. Right? Okay. So, all right. Since we're talking about culture and stuff, who are some of your favorite salseros? Since you into salsa, because I'm a big salsero myself. I'm gonna say I love Willie Colon, like I mentioned before, Hector Lavoe, Eddie Santiago, Frankie Ruiz. I love Mark Anthony, um, Gilberto Santa Rosa. I mean, all of the greats, you know, I feel like, do we have any new salseros out there? I don't I don't know, I can't think of any. It breaks my do heart. Yeah. Break, no, 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 you're, you're not wrong, okay. You're not wrong in that sense, in the sense of what salsa used to be. Um, you're not wrong. Like salsa was the thing, right? And there's still a segment of people who love the salsa, but I think as time has gone on, it's, it's become more associated with people that are older. So like the youth, everything with the youth movement is the reggaeton, the, the trap music in Spanish, uh, la musica urbana, all that stuff, you know, and then both. Yeah, All right. which I love too. I love it too. I, I do love it. But there's something about the instruments, right? Like just listening to the words of about salsa. And I, I feel the way that you feel. Like I don't, I can't remember the last time I heard a new song, Salsa, that was like, wow, this is, no. I, I, I feel like it's dying, but we're not going to let it die. We're going to continue to listen and support, even though they're old artists, we are not stopping. I like, no, I like to hear that. No, definitely. That's important too. And, and, and like, it's the same thing because I also grew up in a family that's very traditional also. Like, so like around this time of the year, like it was, you know, um, Musica Jibara, you know, Aguinaldo, um, Bomba y Plena, um, you know, we grew up with all that stuff too. It, you know, in my family, we we come from that musical background too. So it's it's nice to hear that, and I think we have the responsibility to, um, to pass it on, yes. right? Absolutely, we have to. You know, we have to make sure that our kids hear it, that they know these artists, and that when they get older, they re they're reminded of us, of us listening to this and 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 wanting to learn more and continue to learn and, and continue to pass those traditions on. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. No, definitely. And, and, and so like, I, I appreciated you saying that because it, it's a, it's a very important thing to me. And I feel like seeing other people such as yourself that also can identify with having that sentiment of saying, Hey, we can't let this die. Um, is refreshing to see that, um, to be honest with you. So it's great to see that. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. I know you, I know you mentioned it earlier. But mm -hmm. uh, as far as the Bronx, right? So how did, talk to me about that part as far as like how that formulated your ideas on education. Was there anything that inspired you over, the, over that time or talk to me about that? Yes, so I, like I did say before, I grew up on the Grand Concourse, 177th Street. Um, you know, during a time where there was a lot of, a lot of crime, uh, you know, we're seeing that again now, unfortunately. But there were a lot of things going on during that time. I remember leaving school, walking home, and seeing the little crack vials on, on the street, right? And you're stepping over them. That's what it was. I remember being in my in my room and you hear you hear gunshot. Hearing a gunshot was not like a out of the norm thing. You just hear you you duck down and it, it was a part of what was happening every day. And so I know that for me, I was like, okay, I don't wanna be like these people that I'm seeing around me. I don't wanna be a negative statistic. I wanna know that I'm gonna do something, that I'm gonna get an education and I am going to have a job. I always wanted to have a job where I could dress up. Like I always loved dressing up. And, you know, I pictured myself in like a suit and heels. Like I would see these women on TV. I would see my teachers, right? My white teachers um, come from, I don't even know where they came from, but they, they didn't live in the Bronx. <laughs> and I was inspired by, by what they looked like. And I was inspired by the fact that they were able to teach us uh, all these incredible things. And so I think it was the thought of, 
I have to do something different, right? And also my parents really doing their best to protect me from what was going on around me. Because like I like I spoke to you offline, I had this I must have had the strictest strictest parents to ever exist. Okay. Like I couldn't go out with anyone. I couldn't uh I couldn't go downstairs to check the mail. It was that bad. Really? Wow. It, yes. And not to say that that was the best way to go about it because it was hard for me, but it was the only way that they knew how to protect me. And looking back, they worked with the with the resources that they have and their resources were very limited. And so they felt like, oh, if they let me go out and hang out, you know, with the girls from the building and on the block, yo me iba a dañar, mm -hmm. right? And so they didn't want that. So their thing for me was school, 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 you're bored, go read a book. Go read a book. We didn't have cable. We didn't even have, it was like basic channels, 246, Univision y Telemundo. That's all that I had and my books. And honestly, my books and my reading really, you can see that from being a child and reading to end up, I ended up majoring in, in English and Spanish because my love for reading stemmed from being able to escape. It allowed me to be in my room where I had a view of the garbage, you know, in buildings where they throw the garbage, like all the garbage bags are collected right, there. Right. That was my view. And so- Like at the side of the building? Yes, in the back. Exactly. Almost like it looked like an alley. Exactly, an alley. Yeah. So, that was my view. I would wake up and that was my view. And when I read books, I was able to go to so many other different places. I was able to see that green grass and read about how people lived that had houses and uh, did really cool things, right? And, and traveled and went on vacation. And so reading for me was, it was endless. I used to get my allowance money and money from Christmas and birthdays and I used to buy books. That's what I used to do because the books allowed me to just learn so much more about what was out there, things that I wasn't being exposed to, but things that I knew were out there and I was going to conquer those things. And that is really what kept me going. It, it kept me going through difficult times. It kept me going through times where I didn't agree with my parents because I was always able to see the bigger picture. I was always able to see that that goal, which was here. I was like, okay, no, I'm, I'm going for that. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my dreams come true. And that's what still keeps me going. No, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. Cause like so many times, right? Um, when you come from places that where we come from, um, when you come from the inner city, some of these neighborhoods and when we're given you know, a lot of times we're given a bad hand, right? What we perceive as a bad hand, we may be coming up with, at a disadvantage. And so, so many times the state of mind is for us to just, it's easy to just stay there. It's easy to just stay from where we are and kind of like just agonize over it and say, hey, listen, I start, I, I got given a bad hand. I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here. No, like there, there's so many great stories like like that of yourself where, we don't have to stay in the same place that we started. So I I want to know since since that motivated you to do what you're doing and and to get involved. Um, I guess like how have you seen what has your experience been like with some of those students? Because um, I, I talk to talk to me, but I know what you do offline. But just talk um, just talk about what you do now and like how the experiences of the inner city with those kids. What is their mind state right now on education? Sure, absolutely. So my main role is to support uh, freshman students who have just started college to make sure that they have all the support that they need in order for them to have a successful first year, which will then, of course, lead to them hopefully graduating with their college degree. And so with that, our population comes from 
where you and I came from, right? The majority, that's where they come from. And right. a lot of them don't have supportive parents. Um, a lot of them, maybe they don't want to be there. Maybe their parents made them go because they think that's the next best step and they just were not good students and they don't want to be in school at all. And so my job is challenging because I have to get these kids to like what they're doing, to figure out the right path in life somehow, um, to get them excited, to get them motivated. And one of the things that I always tell them is what are you good at, right? Like what I mentioned before about passion. And I think that doing something that you're passionate about is key. If I was doing accounting right now, working as an accountant, but getting paid a lot of money, I would be miserable because that's not, I hate numbers, I hate math. It's mm -hmm. not me, it will never be me. So that's the first thing. You have to do something that you like. Some of them will just choose a, a major just because, oh, I didn't know what else to choose. Oh, my mother wanted me to do such and such. We cannot do that. This is one of the times where I tell parents, you have to let them pick what they want because they're not going to end up doing well. The other thing is I do see a lack of motivation often. And I think it's because, you know, the 18 to 21-year-old um, age group, we have a really tough time finding ourselves. I'm sure you remember when you were that, that age, it's like, you think you have it all figured out. You really don't. You don't know anything at that age. You really no. don't. No. Um, and so that's a really tough, um, a really tough age to be in. And I think now on top of just the pandemic and everything that we have gone through, everything that we are still going through has been even more difficult. A lot of my students actually still take virtual classes because we offer both. And there have been times where I see students not logging into classes. Um, I teach a class myself, and I will have to tell you that I'm teaching the class. I teach the class virtually, and I'm talking to myself because every every box, the the cameras off. They don't turn their cameras on. They I call wow. them. I don't know if they're there or not. It's like I'm talking to myself. I'm ans I'm asking questions and I'm answering them myself. And no one is that. There's the participation. Is the not participation is not there. there. But I realized in this past year that a lot of these students have problems that are so serious. They are struggling with anxiety. They are. A lot of them are hungry. A lot of them don't have regular three meals, you know, the way that you and I may have. So a lot of them are taking care of ill parents. A lot of them, the parents are working and they are the older siblings. So they have to leave class to go take their younger sibling to school and pick them up. Wow. So where in the beginning I was like, oh my God, what is wrong? You're not motivated. You don't want to do, you know, you don't want to be successful. What are you doing? I started seeing that these real world, world problems were very serious. And this is what is still going on. And we as educators have to support them, regardless of the situation, you know, regardless of, of what is going on. So I make it my point to, I make it a point to work with them. You know, if, if a lot of them have to leave because they have to go to work. How can I tell a student, you have to stay in my class because if that student has to work to help pay the rent and, and the connect, right. you know, that's really what is going on. We are in a crisis right now. And I don't think that a lot of people realize that that's just my perspective from the school that I'm in. I am sure that this is happening all throughout. And so we have created a pantry at the school to, to give, you know, when, when they're hungry or they don't have food at home, they can take like pasta, rice. It has like a little bit of everything just to kind of help them out. Um, we are seeing depression is, and, and this is again, this is across the board. This is not just, we're seeing anxiety, depression, uh, feelings of feeling so low that you cannot even get out of bed. You're not gonna think about going to class or taking a final if you can't even get out of bed. So it's really about talking about these issues such as, 
you have to go get help. You have to go speak to someone. I tell them all the time, if you're sick, your throat hurts, right? You, you, your headache, you have a headache for the past couple of days. You're going to go to the doctor. You, you have a pain in your neck. You're going to go get that checked out. You're depressed. It is no different. You have to go and get help or it's not going to go away. And so it's about learning to fix those problems first before even getting to the academics and the education. Because that we could do. That's the easy part. We need to help them with all of these other things that are happening as well. And then, yes, there's another small portion that they're just unmotivated because they don't want to be there. You know, that's a, that's a different group. So it's a, it's a mix. It's a lot of it's a lot of uh, a lot of different things. What is going on? I think it's just important to take the time and and talk to them and see what's happening. The majority of the time, they're not bad kids. They just need someone to to lean on and to encourage them and motivate them and, and get them the right help that they need. Yeah, it, it's so you're so right. And I I think a lot of times too, we underestimate how difficult that time period could be in our lives, right? Like I, I always say, me for me personally, and I'm sure for you can relate and, and others as well. Like for me personally, that age range from like 18 to like 20 something, early 20s, 22, 21, 22. That was such a rough time. Like that was like one of the hardest times of my life because I, I, I was clueless. I didn't know what I was gonna do, right? And it could be very overwhelming when you're going through life almost like doing what you're expected to do, right? Expected to do. And, but meanwhile, you know, what you're supposed to do, but meanwhile, you have no idea how you're gonna go about it and you don't know if you really wanna do it, right? right. So you may be taking a major that you don't wanna take. You're just taking it because you're like, all right, well, I've gotta be close to home because I gotta go to work at, at two, right? I gotta go work my job at two. I gotta pick up my little brother or sister at, at 12. I have to do this, I have to go to school here whatever. And so many different circumstances exist. So it's hard. It's hard. Like, like, and I, I appreciate your perspective saying, Hey, you know, these people, some of these kids are just kind of, they need a little push. They need a little guidance because they, they have all these emotions, anxiety, you know, depression, things that were frowned upon in the past. And I think now we've come a long way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and addressing those things, but we still have some, some work to do. Yes, we definitely do because it's still, although it's gotten so much better, a lot of them still don't want to go get that help. A lot of them still feel ashamed to do that. And a lot of the, a lot of it has to do with the parents, you know, because you might be an understanding parent and I might be one as well. But not everybody's that is that way. And if these parents still see that as so taboo, as so like it's shameful almost if you're trying to get some kind of help, then that that's gonna be portrayed onto the child also. And and that's what we have to be careful. You know, you never wanna shame your child if if a student has, for example, some type of learning disability, which we see all the time. It is so common but maybe they don't want to get the services that they need because they feel embarrassed by it. Don't feel embarrassed by getting a service that, that you need, you know? So it's, there's so much work that still has to be done. We've, we've come a long way, but we're not there yet for sure. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I think also um, one of the things and I, I'll ask you, I'm going to ask you this question as well, but one of the things I noticed is that just like, as a whole, um, you know, growing up, um, I feel like our mentality is always just to get by, right? So like we would have that mentality of just, oh, well, I just passed. I just, I got a 65 or I just, I just got a D, right? At least I'll pass. I, at least I passed and I didn't fail. And I feel like that, that comes from a lot of, you know, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, a lot of not having much and just kind of like settling for just the bare minimum. Um, what are your thoughts on that as far as like, cause that bothered me. I, I knew from a young age when I would be around kids who had that mentality, that bothered me back then. I'm like, well, like part of me is thinking, okay, maybe I could just get by. And then the other part is like, wait a second, this is not right. I shouldn't just want to get by. I want, I should excel. So what do you think about that? And what do you feel like we can do to change that? 
absolutely that's an excellent point and i i wholeheartedly agree there was nothing about me that just wanted to get by like i knew i had to put in that work and i wanted to do well right i wanted to excel i wanted to be at the top and not to say that i was always at the top by no means was i always at the top but getting by was not enough because i would have been cheating myself if i just did the bare minimum to get by right and i think that unfortunately now we are seeing a lot of students that they just want to get by a lot of them have again i'm speaking more from the perspective of a college student because that's my experience um a lot of them have they do have jobs that they prioritize these jobs over their academics so it's like let me just give in this paper you know at the last minute um because i have to go to work right or they will do something different from what has been asked of them i had a student the other day who said you know miss um i i know i gave in a paper i gave in a paper and i didn't do the apa format and i failed the paper can you email my professor so that he can give me the opportunity to do it again and i said but why didn't you do it in the right format and he he was honest he said he felt it was too hard and he didn't want to put in that work and so it's not okay to think that we can just skimp on something in life and expect to have those rewards in the end because when you have that job and this is what i always tell them when you get to the workforce and you're asked to do a report or you're asked to submit something you best believe you're going to have to do do it the right mm -hmm. way and and be here with your game because oh, the expectation exactly we're not going to just give in a one or two sentence report that's not going to work in any in any workplace and so i think for them this is the time to to really start learning that and i have those conversations with them and i think that it's important to have those conversations as parents with our kids because often parents are so quick to blame you know their teachers and the school system and the department of education and this no and this doesn't start in, at the college level this starts from day one i have two kids two teenagers myself there's times where they want to do the minimum believe me mm -hmm. like come over here what what, what is this paper that you just did mm -hmm. you know absolutely not and yes they're not going to be happy with me but they're going to do that paper over and they're going to know that next time that's going to be checked and they're going to give it their all because it starts in the home i can speak to my students all i want or all day long but if at home the their parents are not teaming up with me and giving that same message it's not going to happen. So it's really a collaborative effort. It's a team. I always say that, you know, for, for kids as parents, if you have, you know, you have small kids, be a part of a team with your child's teacher and be a disciplinarian at home as well. Check your, your kids' grades, check their portals, check their, I'm sure all none of the kids want me saying this right now, but that's what I do at home. I check uh my my kids grades i check what do you have to do for the week what exams do you have to do because we are not going to just get by we are we are going to plan organize and we are going to do our best we don't have that um that in us right now that we're gonna just get by and do the and do just you know a little bit and and end up who knows where no we're gonna live our life with purpose with intent our ancestors fought way too hard for us to be here now just doing the minimum and and it's it's really like like i said a, a team effort among everyone i i appreciate hearing that 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 really that makes me happy to hear that because you know what that's we we need people like that we need to have that that mentality because it's a little disheartening when i see you know i hear i hear stereotypes you know um i hear stereotypes all the time and I, it, it really bothers me that to hear those things. And, and in some cases, it's things are true, right? In some cases, we live these stereotypes when we shouldn't be because we're not doing our best. We're not putting our best foot forward. And I think Latinos in, in general, like especially in the areas that we come from in the inner city where there's, there's still work to be done. 
and it's not a thing to, it's not a thing of me trying to like you know um i'm not talking down to anyone obviously or anything like that what i'm saying is i just think there's work to be done we have room to improve in that regard and i think people such as yourself really go a long way in helping kind of like usher in that change that we need um for us to take you know to take that next step i think it's we need to do better with education as as a group i always felt that way um absolutely and a lot of that is because our parents like it's like how do you learn this right how do you learn this skill a lot of parents don't know they may not know so it's almost like we can't blame them but i have a lot of parents who will come to me and say how can i help my child and let me tell you i will become best friends with that with that parent because it's like you want your child to do well i will i will give you all the tricks i will help you come see me and we will work on this together and who benefits? The, the student benefits. And so it's it's really just about getting in there and, and doing everything that you can. It, it really does take a village. It absolutely it does. does. 100%. Now it's time for a segment that I like to call What Santo Said. On this segment, I will revisit an old episode. I will play an audio clip well, it will be an audio clip, but in this case, it will be a video clip as well. And from a previous episode, I will react to it, and then I will ask you for your opinion on it, okay? Okay. All right, so I will share my screen. So let's go to... Can you see? Yes. Okay, here we go. This was from episode 24, um, where I had my guest, Ketsy. This episode was called The Colores. All right, so let's play so, so many, many times, times right? right? How many times have you seen, you know, diaspora, as you call them, di as we know them to be, diaspora, Puerto Ricans, or Latinos, kind of, with the, we have those pressures, but we're trying to kind of, like, ingratiate ourselves and adapt to American yeah. culture, and we lose sight of where we're from. So what I was trying to say there was just, um, we talked about diaspora, the diaspora Latinos or diaspora Puerto Ricans, uh, whichever, in whatever the case may be, right? Just talking about how there's so many pressures to fit in, right? Because in some cases in American society, we're not American enough, but for certain Latinos, we're not Latino enough because we're maybe from here, right? We're raised here. We live here. So just some of those pressures and some of those things. What is your opinion on that as far as, um, as far as how that, what that, that experience? That experience for me personally was tough when I was in high school because I never felt like I fit in. I felt like I went to a school, there were a lot of a lot of white girls in the school. And I felt like I just felt different. You know, I felt like I was different from them. And but at the same time, it's so confusing because you don't want to let go of your culture right i'm like they don't even talk like me you know like i have this this you know this puerto rican accent and they have like a completely different accent and they really weren't that welcoming and so sometimes it makes you feel like should i change who i am you know should i change my appearance uh so that i could fit in but that didn't feel right either and so Honestly, I always just kept to myself. I'm a super introvert. And so I think, but a lot of it had to do uh, because of that, you know, and also like if you, if we look at the big discussion about hair, right? And, and, and not just like for Puerto Ricans, but for Latinos in general, where we talk about pelo malo, right? And, mm -hmm. pelo and at that time, that those weren't things that were being talked about. No. So growing up, you know, my mom was always like, oh, doing rollos in my hair and, and blowing out. And um, because, you know, you can't go to school like with your hair curly. And that's the only thing that I knew. And so I didn't feel though, I, in my heart, like, I was like, this is not right. Like, this is not mm -hmm. right that I should have to conform to this. But it was like, there was nothing I could do because there was no social media. There, this wasn't a topic where everyone was feeling like we could all be ourselves. It was like you 
you you had to conform a little bit or you were like completely you know outcasted and it's so sad that we even had to go through that and i definitely made it a point uh, when i had my daughter to have those conversations with her and to say you know your hair is beautiful curly as it is and, and to this day she embraces her curls and her hair and doesn't feel like she has to conform regardless in, in whatever situation she's in. And, and to me, that's how I was able to, to change that. And to have those conversations with my own mother at times and say, mom, like, you know, it's okay if, if you want to wash your hair and, and leave it curly because your hair looks beautiful like that. You know, and mm -hmm. that's a hard conversation to have with an older woman who her whole that's life- That's how they were brought up. Exactly. Remember, that's how, because that, that voice was not there. That voice, like the voice that you are right now, the voice that you represent did not exist. And so it's up to us to change that narrative of what they say, pelo malo, pelo bueno, you know, all that stuff, like it's ridiculous, right? This is no, embrace your curly hair. That's why like my daughter, I have a daughter and I have a son. I love, my daughter's hair is super curly. I love her hair like that. Love it, love it, love it. Like I, I go crazy. I said like, I play with it like it because I believe yeah that's her hair yeah and I love it like that and I want her to feel confident and beautiful in her own hair yeah because that's the hair she was given by God so God bless her that's what it is and that's how every girl or if their hair is straight if your hair is straight the same thing embrace, embrace it her. embrace it straight but like you said that that those voices were not there at that time so it's it's almost like they didn't know any better you know the the same way even for you know i don't want to get into all of this but like skin color yes you know, well that's like, a whole different kind listen i want to yeah. <laughs> but even you know the the colorism that that exists amongst our own people mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and hearing like my own families like you know, if, if you're white Puerto Rican, you're 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 here. You're a he right, you're, right. Like, yeah. what you know, yeah. like what are you mm -hmm. even saying? Right. So we have come a long way, but we we still have. But listen, you can, by all means, if you can talk about that, I don't. I'm just saying because that took you're 100 percent right. Like yeah. that's that bothers me. Trust me, it yes. does. You're 100 percent right because even me, like, you know. I'm fair skinned, but my family, they're rainbows. Like I have people like, you know, I, yo tengo familia de color también. Like my father's, my papá trigueño. So like, and, and like, you know, so we, we're mixed, right? I was actually always one of the more fair skinned ones because I look like my mom, but like, you know, but still like we're mixed. We have all this, all these different, and like, that's not brought up. That's never talked about. And like, those are discussions that should be had, right? I'm talking about in general in, the, in this country that the lack of representation of, and I, I may do something, I have something in my head to do a lot uh, down the line. I wanted to do a panel with, and I might do it with, with uh, Afro Latinos. And I wanna talk about, and I just want Afro Latinos on the panel. And I wanna talk about the lack of representation of Afro Latinos. And that's an idea that I have. I wanna do it down the line. Do it, but, do it, we need it. We need everyone talking about it because it's not okay. You know, it's not okay that growing up when I was watching the novelas with my mom, that everybody who looked like me was a maid, right? And in the movies, we are portrayed again as, as the maid that doesn't, that speaks broken, um, broken English. And the, the guys are all, you know, in gangs. And it's all the, the stereotypical um, Latino roles. And thankfully, yes, that has shifted somewhat. But we still, we're still not fully there because when I put the news, when I put the news on Univision with Telemundo, I don't, I don't see that many, you know, men and women that look like me and God forbid, darker. It's nope. not there. No, it's not. And, it's not. But that, that's what makes up the majority of our people. That's and right. It's not okay. It's not okay that, you know, that me growing up, I had to feel like 
wow, like, would I be, would I would fit in more with these Italian girls if I was a, a quote unquote white, white Puerto Rican, you know, because that's how it would, that's how I was made to feel. And even again, it, like you said, even within your own family, people, you know, if, if you're born with blue eyes and blonde hair, you're a king. You are a god, you know. Right. If, right. If, if the if it's the opposite, no one's going around praising you. No, they look at they cast you aside almost. They make you look yeah. like you know, like oh no, it's a feo, like oh it's a yeah. fea, it's fea con, con pelo malo. Yes. Right, going ella back to pelo es, malo. Yeah, ella es morena, pero es linda. Ah, uh, like <laughs> what? <laughs> that's so wrong. I I always hated that that term yeah. like ella 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 morena pero no es fea right and it's you know it's all it's that ignorance it's that wasn't spoken about before but now we are and we are having those conversations and i think that it is making a difference and i think that it is voices like yours like mine if we hear something that's not right whether it's your family member whoever it is you know say something and that's how we that's how we can stop these these horrible terms you know like let's let's put an end to all of that 100 i i agree with you that's that's listen that's what it's all about and having these conversations really if we can continue to have these conversations and push it forward and evolve on these i think that it'll go a long way uh a long way in really pushing the pushing it uh pushing us uh, to evolve and, and really bringing everything together and, yes. and making it all better uh, as it should be. So, um, all right. So any final thoughts? Talk to me about anything you may be going, uh, have going on now, anything that coming up, go ahead. This is your, this is your so, uh, chance here. Right now I'm really focusing on, like you said in the beginning of the podcast, just really showing people that you can be positive right that you can be kind that you don't have to put negative energy out into social media so my instagram is the latina educator it is not just about education i am all about family life my kids um a little bit of work my students but really being positive really being uh multifaceted showing people that we don't just have to stick to one thing that we can do many things and and I'm continuing to learn and grow and I just want to show other people that we can do that as well. And for the next year, I definitely want to continue to work on my blog and a couple of other little a couple of other little projects that I have going on as well. All right, no, definitely. Um, make sure you follow the Latina. I will plug all your stuff as well. So no worries, we will definitely plug your social media, the Latina educator. AKA Miss Sandra Polanco. Thank you so much for joining me uh, on this episode. I really appreciate having you, your perspective, everything. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Santos, for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. So we, I gotta say, so great perspective. I really enjoyed having her on. Um, Sandra Polanco, really great, great perspective. And again, look, this, these are the things you know, these are the conversations we need to have. And we can't be afraid to have these type of conversation, these types of conversations. And, um, you know, it was great having her on, hearing her perspective. We need more role models like this. Um, you know, she provides a great, great role model for not just Latinos, uh, female, males, but really anyone coming from the inner city, anyone coming from the places we come from um, who feel like they have to stay in the same position that they came from. No, it's not the case. There's room for growth. There's room for progression. There are role models who look like us and who are us and who represent us. You just have to pay attention to them. And, and that's what it's all about. So um, I wanna thank my guest, the Latina educator, Sandra Polanco. Make sure you follow her on social media. Um, and, uh, the Latina Educator on Instagram, as well as on TikTok, The Latina Educator. Um, thank you, guys. That was episode 28. Guys, make sure to follow me on social media, uh, on Instagram, The Santos Thread Shop, 
Santos Threat Shop on Instagram, Santos Threat Shop on TikTok, uh, The Santos Says Podcast on YouTube, and uh, visit santos-threats.com. You already know what it is. Thank you, guys. As always, don't just say what you mean or mean what you say. Say what you chest.